0: Uh, just write your questions if you have them. Stick them in the bucket. If you didn't get to do it during the break, you can do it on the way out. And uh, a couple of people asked Tina after she said, "I don't love you. Don't want to be married. I'm not going to be in the ministry. What did I do?" Well, we—I mean, just the only thing we could do—we—we we made a decision to drop, withdraw from seminary. We moved back to Wilmington so that Tina could kind of have the the safety and the security of her family for a season. And we just focused all of our attention on rebuilding our marriage, and uh, it took a few years to really get in a good place. But you know, God was faithful to to do that. And and I you know I tell couples a lot of times when they're in trouble, your number one priority is your marriage, and if you have to put everything else on a ho- on hold for a season to get your marriage in a good place, do it. It'll be worth it. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll I'll be helping young people, and they. They just can't see, do that, or they can't imagine making a sacrifice. Listen, if your marriage don't, doesn't work out, it's going to be a sacrifice. You know, divorce, on average, costs you 50% of your net worth. I mean, so there's, there's no way. It, I mean, you're better off to save your marriage. It's a fantastic financial decision. It's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted this to tell you all before we jump in and while we're waiting on people to get back. What God is doing in your church is amazing. And uh you know, our our church has, has grown a lot and we've studied a lot of of growing churches and helped a lot of churches uh really get on your on their feet. I was outside reading the board out there where y'all have had thirty percent growth for several years. And uh I mean that is almost unheard of. It's very, 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 very unusual. If you continue to grow at thirty percent a year, once you if you you know, there's a, there's a list that comes out every year. It's published by Outreach Magazine of the top 100 fastest growing churches. Well, the only way you can apply to be on that list is you have to have at least 1,000 people in your church. But with that being said, if you had 1,000 people in your church and you were growing at 30% a year, you would be, on the, you'd be in the top 10 of that list every single year. I mean, see if you're growing 30%, literally, that would put you in the top 10 churches in America percentage growth every single year. What God's doing in your church right now is amazing. And uh, sometimes, you know, when we're in it, especially if if grace is the first church you've really been in, then this just seems normal. It's not normal. It's, it's really extraordinary. It's supernatural. God's doing a great work, and your pastor Jimmy's a A great pastor and his wife, Ramona, is here, and can we put our hands together for your pastor and his wife? And uh, we were talking, I think one of the reasons Jimmy asked me to come, we met on a little pastor's getaway, about five pastors, a couple years ago, and we had a chance to have dinner, just the four of us, and, and talk a little bit about our story, and our stories were so similar. You know, they... Early, the early years of marriage was so challenging, but what God did through that crisis, that trial, was so liberating that their, you know, their story was so similar to us, so we're glad that you're here, and of course, Jimmy's, if you don't know, he's in Africa on a mission trip, that's why he's not here uh, this weekend, and uh, so I just want to honor, honor your pastor. Well, Tina, let's talk about the purpose of marriage.
1: Okay. Um, number one, marriage will complete you, your um, spiritual growth. And I'm going to read, I Can think. Can you see that? I think so. Okay. This is Romans 8, through 29. And we know... Wait a minute, where'd it go? Okay. And we know that for... Is it up there? Okay, this is going to be easier. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The first thing, five things that uh, you should know about marriage. I said, yeah, marriage will complete you. Here's so that's the first thing. Number one. And then five things that um, we all need to know. We wish we would have known about marriage is that marriage is not about you. I've been trying to tell Alan that for years. It's not about him. It's about me. (laughs) Um, We are all very selfish people. I think the longer we're married, I think we realize how selfish we are. Um, Sometimes the person that we love the most hurts us the most. And um, number four, you cannot make it work on your own. We've been talking about all night how... We cannot do it on our own. I do not see how people that don't know Jesus, how they make it in marriages. We need Jesus.
0: I might have put these in the wrong order. I did.
1: Okay, is it that one? Okay, number five. Learn to enjoy each other and never stop. I think that is a big thing that in the last few years, Alan and I have really learning to how to have fun together and how... Uh, to laugh more. I think that's life-changing in your marriage.
0: So when we say marriage will complete you, the idea is that it will, and, that, and this is what our verse is all about, it'll make you more like Jesus. Is that God uses marriage to help you become more like Jesus. So we've already talked a lot about uh, this uh, already. So, I want to, so one, of the, one of the ways that this really um, gets tested in our life is when we begin talking about different roles within marriage. Now, this isn't politically correct. It really runs against culture, and it really stirs up our flesh. But the Bible teaches, in Ephesians 5, 23, the Bible says that the husband is head of his wife. Now, this word head, this is interesting because the Greek word there, um, it's always used. In fact, Wayne Grudem who is a a guy who's, he's a theology uh, professor, he wrote a systematic theology book, which is probably the most popular and commonly used systematic theology book across America, Wayne Gruden's Systematic Theology. But he did an extensive study of this. He found that this word, the same Greek word that Paul uses, that in your English translation says head, that 2,000... 336 times this word is used in Greek culture. And every single time, he couldn't find one exception. Every single time the word is used, it's used to indicate that one person has authority over another person. And our tendency when we hear that, especially again in American culture, we say, well, that's not fair. The truth is it's not about fairness. And, And God is using marriage... To challenge our flesh and our pride. The Bible calls a man to lead. And he's given him authority over his wife. Now, this leadership is a servant leadership. It goes on in the same passage. In verse 25, we've already talked about it several times, to say that a husband is to lay down his life. A husband is to love his wife the way Christ loves the church. So my leadership, when I lead Tina... My leadership is a servant leadership, just like Jesus led. My leadership is a sacrificial leadership. My leadership is a, is a responsible leadership. So all, when we, when we, if we're asking the question, men, what does it mean to lead my wife? What it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I boss her around. I'd never... In fact, I'm not sure I've ever told my wife what to do. I don't tell my wife what. That's, you don't see Jesus. We don't. That's not really what leadership looks like. I don't have to boss her around. Um, you know, she doesn't like want to do one thing, and I say, "No, you can't do that." Like, I'm not her parent. I'm her spouse, and the way I lead her is I serve her. I sacrifice for her. I'm sewing into her life, and when I do, man, that changes. Everything. So, for example, being a servant leadership, when I come home, almost every day, I wash the dishes at our house. Why? I'm trying to lighten her load, and Tina, her hands get real dry, and especially in the winter, if she washes dishes, they crack and bleed. Well, I don't want her to suffer that way, so I'm going to wash the dishes and train my kids to do that. So, when we're in the kitchen, almost every day, I come home, Tina will be cooking. I'll go over and give her a hug and kiss, see what she needs help with around the house, and then I'm cleaning up while she's cooking. She's making a big mess, and I'm cleaning it up as we go. And uh, that's what hap- That's how we kind of do that together most nights. But that's a simple way for me to, to help. I help with the kids. This week, Tina went to Wilmington for a few days to hang out with her mom and her sister she had tickets to a play and they did all that and it was great and I had the kids and I'm glad to do it I didn't, I certainly didn't spend the week feeling sorry for myself and pouting and whining because I've got to take care of the kids they're my kids <laughs> I mean I, sometimes guys I just have to say sometimes I hear guys whining about what they're having to do like like they're just supposed to Go to work and then go play golf all day. Did you know that you're, if your wife's a stay-at-home, a lot of your wives, your wife is working a job and making a paycheck just like you. And then somehow, I mean, I, I wonder if there's just this disconnect. Somehow a lot of guys think, well, I know she worked all day, but I worked all day. And so that means I should come home and sit in the recliner and watch Sports Center while she cooks and cleans and takes care of the kids at night. I mean that's ridiculous, and and you know y'all probably aren't guilty of that, or you wouldn't have come to this conference tonight. But you might need to tell the other guys in your church that's ridiculous. I mean that that's just craziness. And even if your mom, so my wife's a stay-at-home mom, but she's not like home on the couch. You know, it's like she doesn't get her she can't get her nails done every day. You know, I mean she's she's working too. She has things. She runs our house. So that I can be free to build the kingdom, and uh, so she's working. And uh, in fact, one of the things early in our marriage that really helped me is when I would come home and take care of the kids and do what she does during the day. And man, I was so glad to go back to work the next day. You know, the truth is, the, the truth is, it's easier for me to go to work, especially psychologically. Often it's just easier. So I do the yard. I keep our cars clean. Now I don't clean them anymore. You can go to Auto Bell for six dollars now and get a car clean. <laughs> Who's going to clean a car when you can do it for six dollars? I'm not doing that, but I can drive it to Auto Bell, right? Six bucks. In our house, we had hardwood, hardwood floors downstairs. I I clean the hardwoods, and she'll do the little Swiffer thing. But if somebody's going to squirt the stuff on it and actually scrub them, I do that. You know, I want to lighten, I want to lighten her load every chance, uh, every chance that I can. It's my I've, I've got to res, be responsible. So again, that passage talks about me presenting, one day I'm going to impart, to some degree, I'm going to answer for the spiritual condition of my spouse. Well, that's a weighty responsibility. And I am not going to stand before God and say, well, I told her what to do. You know, and... uh so that, I mean, it's just important for us to understand that. Men are called to serve. Uh, Matthew 23, 11. Jesus couldn't have been clear. The greatest among you. Men, how many of you want to be great? I want to be great? We, we have a hard time even raising our hand for that. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God reached down to make us great. So men, if we don't want to be great, the truth is we're wrestling against God. You're his son, and he wants you to be great. And we've embraced in the church sometimes this false humility. That to walk around with my tail between my legs like this. That makes me great. That makes me humble. That's not humility at all. That's not humility at all. Humility is embracing who God says you are. And embracing what God has said to do. Regardless of what anybody else thinks about it. That's what humility actually looks like. God wants you to be great. But Jesus said the secret to greatness is to be the servant of all in one place and in another place to become like a little child and to live by faith. That's what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So I want to provide that kind of leadership. First Peter 3, 7 says to live with your wife in an understanding way. Boy, now that's the greatest challenge in the whole Bible, right? But I want to do all that I can to try to understand what's important to my wife, what my wife's needs are, how I can help her to become everything God intended her to be. Listen to me, men, you gotta understand this. You'll never, you'll be much happier married to a woman you, who you have personally helped to blossom and become everything God intended them to be than to be a married to a woman that you've put under your thumb. There's nothing like living with a woman who feel secure, confident, loved, cherished, a woman that's blossomed. You live with a woman that's been taken care of, and it is a wonderful thing. So I'm just telling you, the investment is worth it. I mean, it just pays off. It's, it's great to be married to a woman like that. So the, the Bible says that I've got, that's, that's what it looks like for me to lead. And then the Bible says that Tina is to be a helpmate.
1: There is a great book. I don't, do you have this yeah, book up? It's, out there. Mm-hmm. it's um, a proper care and feeding of a husband. And it talks about being a helpmate to your husband. And the three things in there that she talks about is number one, she talks about sex. And I know tomorrow we're going to go a lot more into um, sex, but You know, I think when I get to heaven, I am going to have a couple of questions to God about sex. But we'll just wait and see on that. But God just made a man to um, love sex. And through the years, I'm just starting to say, Lord, I just thank God that my husband desires me. It's a good thing. And it is a good thing. And, um, so that is one way I know there are times with Alan that, um, we used to have a joke where if he, you know, if it's been a while and he comes home and he's just kind of, you know, it's very rare that he's in a bad mood. But if I can just tell, you know, I'll just look at it and be like, dude, you need some sex. We need to schedule that in tonight. And it is amazing. They come out of that bedroom, a different person. It's like, (laughs) hallelujah to the glory of God. Um,
0: That's good preaching, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It'll do wonders for you women. Um, Number two is food. Just put some food in their tummies. That also, they give them sex and give them some food. And then number, number, oh, you added this? Oh, okay. Number three is allow him to play. Encourage him to play. And, um, you know, i I think that's really important. The longer that we are married, the longer that we are in the ministry. You know, Alan, in the last four years, when I married him, he was not a hunter. I would have never thought in a million years I would marry a camo man. But he loves to hunt. And I'm so grateful for it. We went
0: to Cabela's on the way here today. It was
1: awesome. Yeah, he told me we had a very important stop. And then we pulled into Cabela's. So, um, But anyways... I have just seen how you know, especially in his life, being a lead pastor, they really need an outlet, and he loves to hunt and he loves to just go out and be outside. I mean, he'll come home and he'll just he'll um, take pictures and he'll just be like, he'll get me. He's like, I mean, just that is just so beautiful, and I'm and I just it it is wow, it really is, Alan. Yeah, I um, yeah. But anyways, he loves to hunt, and it's not just the shooting. He just loves to be out there. He loves the preparation, and I think it just really ministers to him, and he can go out there and talk to the Lord. And so I do try to encourage him um, to do some things that really uh, feed him. I try to support Alan and what he does. You know, I am totally on board being a pastor's wife, and we are a team at Daystar, and I am in the game with him lots of times. I am behind the scenes, and sometimes I do get to where I feel like, you know, I don't get to be in all the excitement, but I have to remember that I do what I do so he can do what he does. God has called him to lead our church, and um, I chose to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom, and believe me, I think I could go out there and get a job, and it would be a lot easier. But I choose to stay at home because I've always wanted to do that, and I run my home. You know, we just came out of a uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting, and then went right into three days of revival, and it it takes a lot. It takes so Alan had to be at the church every morning at six o'clock in the morning, and it takes a lot out of him. And I was thinking during that time, you know. A lot of times that time is a little bit hard for me, but I just was standing in the kitchen and I was like, you know, I'm going to continue to be faithful and to do what I do so that he can do what he does. We are building the kingdom of God and it is worth it. Um, I really want to respect Alan and honor him. You know, I have always tried to, uh, when especially where, when we're around other people, I want to always... Um, honor him. I don't want to ever embarrass him. I don't want to ever say something that would put him down. You know, there's been times before where if we're in, in a group of people and he'll say something, he's this is very rare, but if he says something that hurts my feelings, I keep my smile, and then I just, after everybody leaves, I just say to him, you know, in grace, just like he would do with me, I just say, you know what you said, it really hurt my feelings, and we just talk about it, and and we work through it. But I always want to show him respect and show him that I think he is the greatest man. I know I don't want to ever put him down.
0: So the second thing in your marriage is your spouse should compliment you. So the first one was complete you. The second blank there is compliment you. And the idea is simply that Tina and I... I want to
1: say one more thing. I just yeah. thought yeah. <laughs> you should have seen your face. Um, I want to say this. You know, <laughs> your face was so funny. Um, you know, I am, I can be kind of quiet, and I have always had a tender heart for God. And I'm not. I'm an introvert. But I want to tell y'all, there is this thing in our world that... To submit to your husband makes you weak. And I am I, submitting to your husband and submitting to God takes a lot more strength than the world realizes. I am not a weak woman. I'm tender, but I am very strong and I have an opinion. And, you know, when we make decisions as a couple, there, I cannot tell you, maybe two times, I think there's this thing out there where it says, Well, to submit, your husband is just going to tell you what to do. We always talk about things together, and we make decisions together. He wants to know what I think. But I think there's been two times where he asked my opinion, and I gave him my opinion, and then he decided to go ahead and do what he thought, even though I didn't think he should do it. And you know what I said? I said, okay, dude, it's on you.
0: (laughs) that worked out great for you. You should see the house she gets to live in. So, the second thing is, in marriage, your spouse should compliment you. And the idea simply here is, Tina and I are very, very different. And uh, one of the books out there talks about the psychology of how opposites attract. And the truth is, generally speaking, most couples are very, very different. And we're attracted to each other's differences as long as we're dating. But then we actually have to live with those differences. They drive us crazy. Right? Right? So from a distance, they're attractive. When you're living together, then they, those differences sometimes become an irritant in your in your life. And the thing that we just had to learn is we've learned how to appreciate our differences. I, I was reading a story about this guy this week who got a brand new BMW. And uh, he decided to take it out for a spin. And he's driving down the inter- interstate going like 120 miles an hour Well, a, a a uh, state trooper sees him, pulls out. He's trying to run him down. The guy just decides, you know, I got this new car. I'm he just he just kind of has this temporary insanity, and he just floors it. Well, after a couple more minutes, you know, it kind of he, he comes to his senses. He pulls over. The cop pulls up. He comes up beside the uh, car, and he's angry. It's been a long day, and this dude's you know driven 150 miles an hour or something down the interstate. And, He rolls his doing it down, and the cop just says, What in the world are you thinking? And, you know, he's just kind of blowing off some steam. He says, Listen, it's been a long day. If you can give me an excuse I've never heard, I'm going to let you go. And he said, Well, officer, last week my wife left me for a cop, and I thought you were bringing her back. (laughs) We're different, right? We're very different. But the truth is, the truth is, God put us together to complement each other. I need what is different about Tina. And Tina needs what is different about me. It's not good to be alone. We're much better together. You want to share that? Uh,
1: Scientists gathered to determine.
0: This is a true story.
1: Scientists gathered to determine if a computer should be called a she or a he. They, de- they divided into two groups, the men and the women, to discuss the differences that a computer presents. The women said the computer should be addressed as a masculine gender, gender for three reasons. Number one, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. Yeah, that's not <laughs> Number two... They are supposed to solve the problem, but half the time they are the problem. (laughs) Number three, as soon as you commit to one, soon after you realize you could have gotten a better model. The men scientists concluded that a computer should be addressed in a feminine gender for three reasons. One, no one but their creator understands their internal logic. Number two, even your smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory. (laughs) Three, as soon as you commit to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck for accessories for it.
0: You know, Tina and I were very different, so so Tina liked to stay up late. I liked to go to bed early. Um, Tina was spontaneous. I want to have a plan for everything. Tina was laid back. So we go on vacation. Tina wants to relax. I want to create a schedule. We're doing this at this time, this at this time. this. At this. My vacation's a job. Hers is actually a relaxing time together. I, I enjoy sports. I enjoy outdoors. I've been begging Tina to go hunting. It hadn't happened yet, right? I mean, it's just not who Tina is. She's She's not into outdoors and there were there's just a lot of things like that tina's sensitive i was insensitive again tina's laid back i was driven um so we were very different but our differences helped balance us
1: yes alan he never stopped i remember my brother said to him one day do you ever sit down and so he just never stopped he always keeps going he always had to be doing something he is passionate about everything he does. He, he doesn't do many things, but what he does do, he is 150%. And early on, that drove me crazy. Um, everything was a competition. Everything was a race. I mean, when he's driving now, I'm like, dude, there is not a fire. Just, you know, there's a fire Where is- <laughs> wherever he is going. One thing, I I think I still say this to him now, it's all or nothing. I mean, the, I, re, I, I really don't think he knows there's a line in the middle. I, I really don't think you know that. I mean, it's either it's all the way over here, it's all the way over here, and I think I help him to try to um, find the middle. I love to shop. He does not like to shop. Um, he is trying to get me to go hunting, and, hey, maybe y'all can pray for me, and maybe I will... Um, go hunting. He is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. And um, one of the things that early on drove me crazy is that I would have had a tendency to try to sweep things under the rug and not deal with stuff. And he would never allow us to do that. We had to deal with it. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that now. Psychologists say that girls tend to marry boys like their fathers, which is why I think most mothers cry at their weddings. <laughs>
0: You know, really Tina has helped me and we talked about this a moment ago. Who Tina is in my life has helped me to be a much better man. Much better husband, much better father, much better pastor. And that's part of what God intended your spouse to bring into your life. To bring some balance, to bring some moderation, to bring some perspective, to bring to bring to complement your weaknesses, and your strengths. And for most couples, uh, I mean, that is very, very powerful. And I, and I think for me, there was just a time, and I can't remember exactly when this happened, where I, I transitioned from thinking everything on that list that she just read about herself, it was my job to fix it. Instead, recognizing I needed that. That wasn't actually something to fix. That was a gift to me. And so learning to embrace that rather than try to change it or fix it. The truth is, if Tina was just like me, we would have hurt a lot of people. I mean, so our marriage really changed us, which is the first thing we talked about. But it's also really brought balance to both of us. and allowed us both to move out of our dysfunction. To both of us to be better with people. Both of us to be better with our kids. I would have driven our kids... Crazy uh, without Tina's balance in our life. So that's been a a big deal. The third thing on your list is that God created marriage to create godly offspring. And if you look here at Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, here's what God says about it. It says, this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But, you say, why does He not? Why doesn't God accept our offering? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one, what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So the idea is that because my marriage has helped me to grow up and brought balance to my life, That's the very thing that empowers me to be a better parent. So my marriage has helped me to grow spiritually and to be more balanced, and that helps me to be a better parent. So our kids need that. The number one thing your kids need from you is a great marriage. I mean, one of the great blessings that our kids, uh, our kids did not have to live through our hell. We had kind of moved through that before they came along and were old enough to know about it. So my, our kids have got to grow up in this home where they know how to do conflict without shouting and attacking each other. Where they've seen a parents have fun and play and laugh with them and with each other. Where they see the dynamics of a healthy family. Where they see us pray together and worship together and serve the Lord together. Where they see us be affectionate to each other, to hug each other, and to kiss each other. and they, they see all of these dynamics in a very healthy way. Man, that's a great thing for you to offer as a gift to your children. So what God's doing in you spiritually, and what God's doing in you practically, the balance that He's bringing in your life is actually empowering you to be a better parent. Parenting, really parenting is discipleship. And then the last thing is simply is that marriage is intended to glorify God. When I think about our marriage, our marriage, because God has used it as such a tool to change us and to strengthen us as a a couple and empower us with our children, what's so obvious today is to see that marriage is this great gift from God. And I can't help but give Him praise for my marriage. I mean, I'm just constantly thankful and grateful. I'm not sure a day goes by where I don't take time to thank God for my marriage. So my marriage is now bringing Him glory. And it allows other. When you build a great marriage, man, it helps everybody around you. It helps their marriage. It gives them the hope. It gives them tools and the faith and the... And the desire, when Tina and I were going through this struggle, when Tina and I were in the middle of all this, one of the things we did when we moved back to Wilmington is we joined a church and we got in a small group. And we were surrounded by a group of couples who were just like us. They were young and dumb and newly married and feeling like the world was going crazy and how in the world could they find their way? I mean, we were kind of all in that boat together. But having, I think there were six couples in that, small group, and having, we're still friends with them today, having those six couples in our life in that critical moment was so valuable. In fact, for me, because I'm competitive, I mean, it's like in my mind, well, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can build a great marriage, I can build a great, if they're not going to give up, I'm not going to give up, right? I mean, it just, it created a natural uh, competitive camaraderie where we were all doing everything we could to build our marriages, and to prepare for the future. And and all of those couples, every single couple from that small group, and that's been 20 years, every single one of those couples today are married. Every single one of those couples today have great kids. They're teenagers now. It's hard to believe. Every one of those couples today love the Lord and are walking with God. Every one of them. I mean, that small group was powerful. Powerful. And uh, one of the things that, we hope that you'll do as you, as we come out of this conference is to if you're not in a small group to join a small group and to join a, so we're going to have several is there is the small group person here you're the small group person there's six, marriage small six marriage small groups that have space for people to sign up in so there's a group for everybody and if there's six there's lots of different options about when they meet and where they meet and stuff like that get in a group being in a small group can be such a powerful, powerful thing that God wants to use in your life to help you build a fantastic marriage. All right, will somebody grab the bucket back there and just look in it and see if there's any questions in the bucket? Somebody in the back? Any questions? All right, bring them to me. Oh, it's 9 o'clock. We're out of time. All right, we're going to do just a couple of questions real quick. we am going to let you go. I know it's late. Question number one, how can you discern the difference between a wife sacrificially dying to self to honor, serve, and submit versus not being considered and regarded? Great question. Having her opinion heard and validated without leading, being co-heirs. So I suspect whoever wrote this question, your husband's in the room, so let me just talk to the husband. At the end of the day, It is your responsibility. I just think this is just good leadership. Tina doesn't have to come force her opinion into my mind. I think I have a responsibility. I'm the leader. I think I have a responsibility to go to Tina and invite her, to ask her to give me her opinion. So I I would just say, guys, do that. Now, the flip side is the flip side in, in American culture today and this is one of the reasons I do not watch television anymore because it just makes me mad. Because you watch television today, and just about every television show, you've got a woman who is just, you know, bullying some wimpy, pathetic little man. And he feels like he can't have an opinion. He doesn't, he, well, he doesn't, in those TV shows, he doesn't have an opinion. At the end of the day, you both, you both should be working to make sure you understand. And we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Because tomorrow we're going to do conflict. But I think the, uh, my favorite verse about this is this. James 1.19 Everyone. So that's me. And that's you, right? Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. Why? Because the anger of man does not accomplish the righteous life. That God desires. And we've all. We all need to be quick to listen. We should be eager. To hear the opinion of our spouse. Listen. If you don't know this. You should know it. You are always going to make better decisions as a team. Always. Because your spouse sees things that you. Let me give you a great example of this. So I had two, two weeks ago. I got this fantastic idea. At church, it's a good idea. I mean, I'm. It's so good we should start it tomorrow. I mean, it's a fantastic idea. And this week, I got our staff together to tell them how great my to tell them about this fantastic idea that we I have. I mean, it's it's probably the greatest idea ever. Every church should be doing this idea. And after that thirty minute meeting, I walked out going that could be the dumbest idea I've ever had. That's not an exaggeration. Coming into that meeting, I was so convinced, this is the best decision. This is what we should do. This is a great idea. When I tell everybody this, we're going to jump up and run out together to do it. I mean, I was just convinced. This is unbelievable. This is like, this is going to change the whole world. It's unbelievable. 30 minutes later, I thought, Why didn't I think of that? That's what your spouse does. Is your spouse just helps you to see some things and to consider some things from a different perspective that you never thought of. And if you don't get their opinion, the truth is, the truth is, you're just a fool. There is wisdom in the counsel of many. That's what Proverbs said. So I want to be quick to listen. I, I should be eager. I want the reason I had that staff meeting this week to share my fantastic idea is because I've learned from experience a lot of my fantastic ideas are not so fantastic, and I need some perspective. And marriage provides that. I am. I want to know Tina's opinion. Because I'm, I'm really pretty nervous about deciding without it. So you, both of you, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And we'll talk about this a lot when we talk about conflict tomorrow. But our mouth gets us in trouble. Listen, listen. There's a reason you have two ears and one mouth. Is you should listen twice as much as you talk. Listen. Listen, listen, man, if you understood this, you'd, you, you, if you'll understand what I'm about to tell you, you'll instantly become a fantastic listener. You ready for this? Listening empowers you to be right and to make great decisions. The secret to being right And making really good decisions is being a good listener. So if you want to be ignorant and think you're right, and make bad decisions that you don't realize they're bad until they've created a mess, well then just go on and don't listen. But if you want to be right more than you're wrong, and you want to make fantastic decisions, listen, listen, listen. You know what, I've got 16 years at our church, And we've made all kinds of great decisions. (laughs) And I hate to say this, but it's true. Everybody thinks it's because I'm so smart. (laughs) Because I've been the lead guy for 16 years. The truth is, I listen. And they're smart. That's the truth. I just live with the conviction. This is just the truth. I will always make better decisions with Tina, not without. With my team, not without. With my kids, not without. With my church, not without. I'm just better when I got people helping me make decisions. That's how you should approach everything in your life. And if you don't do that, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And the only thing keeping you from doing that is your pride. So be a man up. Listen. My, our daughter our daughter has a basketball coach, and I'd like to punch his lights out. Because he he coaches middle school girls. And he thinks being a man is bullying verbally middle school girls. And that makes me very angry. But you know, a lot of men do that in their home. It does not make you a man to intimidate your wife, to bully your wife, to not listen to your wife. All of that is just an... It, All of that is an indication of insecurity, not security. That's an indication of weakness, not strength. So be strong and secure and invite your spouse into every conversation. And you'll live your whole life everybody thinking, man, he is so smart. He makes great decisions. You'll be honored because you chose to honor your spouse. That's a good answer, in it? All right, I'm going to do one more. That was a long answer. I'm going to make this one shorter. I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. Don't look at me like that. Okay. How do you handle a situation where you are closer to God? Alone? God? What's that? Closer to God. More. Okay. It's a slash. More open than your partner. How can you bring someone closer to Christ in if they fight to believe, okay. Well, first of all, it's it's very, very, very challenging to determine who's closer to God. I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost impossible. So, now these these are broad generalizations, but t- t- uh, typically Tina is going to look closer to God because she's in the room, on worship playing, crying in her Bible. That is typically not for a man what it looks like to walk with God. You know, at the end of the day, most men are like, are we going to just sit around here crying and singing all the time? We're going to do something. <laughs> I mean, we're going to go out there and fight somebody. Are we going to go out there and change our city? To, I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, for a man, that's spiritual. Again, these are general, broad, broad statements. So I think, first of all, we just have to be very careful about measuring who's more mature. You know, when Jesus came on the scene, the people that thought they were the most mature. Jesus told them over and over again, "You're in complete dark." In fact, here's how Jesus said, "This is a, this is a crazy statement." Jesus said this, when the when you think the darkness in you is light, whoa, that is, I mean, you are in the dark then. And that was so. He's he's talking to the, that religious community. Their darkness, they were convinced the darkness was the light. And when you when you make that mistake, you're really, 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 really in trouble. So I just say, and we just got to be very careful. I don't have any idea if Tina's more mature than me or I'm more mature than her. And the truth is, our spiritual life's not that linear. You know, it's not like at school where you take a test and one of you got an 80, another got an 85. You know who did better. Your spiritual life's not like that. It's way more mysterious than that. So that's I think that's just the first thing. But the second thing is, like Tina said earlier, my pursuit of God and what He was doing in me is what created an appetite in her. So the Bible says, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Well, one of the things it does is it makes us thirsty. So in other words, my relationship with God... Should create a spiritual thirst in Tina, and so that's not by telling or doing something or trying to get Tina to do something. As I'm just focused on running after Jesus and being everything God's called me to be. That's the very thing that produced thirst in her life. So I, I think I think the key is I think the key is is just your pursuit of God. And here's the last thing I'm going to say about this, and then we're going to go home. Is that, you know the truth is with Tina and I, it was a slow process. Like Tina told you, five years in, when she had Luke, is when she first, now you think for five years, it was five years that she began to say, you know what, maybe I'm part of the problem. Well, when we were in our crisis, I was basically a pastor. I was like the ideal husband, right? I'm in seminary. I love Jesus. I'm supporting my wife. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and yet my wife is saying, I'm the problem. You know how hard that was? You know how superior I felt? In fact, I used to say to Tina, you, you know, if you pray a little bit, <laughs> that didn't help. But I used to say, you know, if you'd pray, if you'd come to chapel, if you'd get what I'm getting, man, you, you'd come out of that depression. That did not help her, and it didn't help me. But the point I'm making is, in my mind at that time, I was way down the road spiritually from Tina, and I was asking that same question, but the thing I realized by God's grace is that if I spent any time trying to fix her, it was actually counterproductive. That as I focused all of my time on what God was doing in me, the change was so authentic and so powerful, and it so ch- started changing the dynamics of our relationship in such a powerful way that that's the thing that created thirst. But I had to do that for five years. Five years before she started kind of saying, well, maybe it's me. Five years is a long time. So I would just say be patient. Be careful not to measure. Focus on your own relationship with the Lord. And when you're feeling desperate, just see it as an opportunity for Christ to teach you to live independence. When you read the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, the whole New Testament is written in a context where they are constantly suffering like we will never suffer and they had to learn in their suffering that Jesus is enough and because they learned that God used them those early believers to turn the world upside down so it could be that the very thing you're going through is what God is using to prepare you to change the world so just stay focused on you Let Jesus be your spouse. I'm not going to talk about this tomorrow. And this is, the I promise, the last thing I'm going to say. I can tell she's nervous over here. We were created to love God and to serve people. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we try to, instead of worshiping God and loving and serving others, if we're not careful, we worship others. We need others. To validate us, we need others to satisfy us. We need others to make us happy. And the truth is, I've got to get that from God so I can give my life away to Tina. Because the moment I look at Tina and I start trying to get Tina to make me happy, Tina to validate me, Tina to be my source, what I've basically done is I've idolized Tina, which sets her up to fail because, as good as she is, she's not God. She'll never come through. She cannot be perfect. And it's not her role. It's not what God intended her to do. So instead of my marriage being a blessing to me and being something I enjoy, it actually enslaves and destroys me. Anything in your life you idolize will enslave and destroy you, even your marriage. If you idolize Jesus, you can enjoy your marriage. If you idolize your marriage, it'll destroy both.
1: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Me and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.